This, this is the Our Auto Expert Podcast. Find us on air, online, on mobile, and on your smart speaker. Please subscribe at ourautoexpert.com. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Now, here's the host of Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Nick Miles. Welcome to this week's show. We are locally created, nationally celebrated from the northwest to the southeast. This is America's Car Radio Show. Uh, If you have a throttle, we'd love to feature it on the show. On air, online, on mobile, or on smart speaker, this is our auto expert. I'm your host, Nick Miles, along with Truck Girl Jen, and uh, we don't have a title for Megan. What we call you? Travel Megan. Travel Mum Megan. Yeah, sure. Mummy Travels Megan. Uh, Megan from MummyTravels.net. Um, you can, of course, follow us on social media at OurAutoExpert.com, uh, where all of our articles, TV segments, radio shows, and social media is placed. Uh, Megan, your 18-year-old son is ready to buy his first car with much assistance from his mother. Yes. Um, I <laughs> A went lot shopping. Of I went shopping with him. Does he listen to the show, by the way? Sometimes. Okay, so we shouldn't say negative stuff then. Sometimes I play it back to them when it goes on to, into the podcast <laughs> to see if they think it's funny. Okay. Are they your funny measurer? Yes. And they judge me hard. So. Okay. Well, I, I judge you hard, too. Um, your son and I went shopping with his girlfriend. Yep. And we went shopping for a new car. Um, well, not you. New to him. New to him. Used. A new car to him. Uh, it was It was interesting trying to suck his opinion out of him. <laughs> Because Noah is a definitely a B personality, very quiet, doesn't talk. I mean, you say he talks a lot, but you're the only one that experiences that. That's true. Uh, with car shopping, it was like, what do you think, Noah? What do you think, Noah? What do you think, Noah? Um, yeah. What? Come on, Noah. What do you think? Um, yeah. Well, the, <laughs> really, the only one he came home talking about that y'all test drove was a Tiguan. I can't remember. Was it a he didn't, 2013? Yes. He didn't like the BMW X5. He didn't like mm-hmm. the steering and that sort of thing. But that's what I was trying to get out of him. Like, what didn't he like about it? So I could gauge you would like this car or you would like this car. Or that type of thing. The Tiguan, I think, was a, a good buy. I also sent you a Jeep Renegade, by the way, that I found online. Oh, I think I missed I, that. I didn't oh, see Oh, it Renegade. looks like a really good buy. I love the Renegade. Uh, he really a, likes the look of jeeps in general it's very square um you should pull it up on the computer you probably can't see you have a computer pull it up on a computer jeep renegade um i think noah would like it a lot and it was within your price range i think it was like within i think your price range is fifteen hundred fifteen thousand dollars i think it was like 16 which we you know and it also comes from a dealership that i know so i could um you know I could do a little swangling. You could use your charm i could use my wit my charm there you go the problem is is that is two hours away no, no, no. That, two that's hours to pick that up. Right. But the the company would probably ship it down here. I know. I'm just but, saying. Where, but could you have a company ship something and then you test drive it and you're like, no, never yeah, mind. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they'd have another one in the fleet. Yeah, that's probably true. So I think the Renegade is a good choice for him because it's a little vehicle. It's great on gas mileage. It's very capable. We took it at Mudfest. Mm-hmm. The Renegade did the extreme course, which only the extreme 4x4s are able to do. The Renegade kicked backside on it that did. course i love it that did car. really well the other car i've been thinking about is the fiat 500x which is their sort of off-road it's the same as the renegade they're the same mm. a lot of the same stuff as the renegade anyway i know we get into this we shouldn't talk about cars we should talk about the experience of buying the cars 
And it's a hard um, experience. It is. The thing with Noah is he told me he doesn't like the roundy SUVs. Right, and they're all round. That's and I was like, what is that? He goes, well, the more modern SUVs. He likes more. He, I mean, every time he sends me a car that is not stimulated by you, it's always like an Audi TT or a Mustang. <laughs> or a, I'm like, ah, oh, he's such an 18-year-old boy. He was like, <sighs> he's still trying to negotiate the Mustang. You know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and he found a screaming deal on a Mustang. And he's like, well, I'll pay for my insurance. No, it's a no, son. Like, I'm not buying a Mustang. <laughs> yeah, he seems to think that you're actually going to give in to that one. I mean, what I, does he use to manipulate you into making decisions that he wants? Nothing, because I, I just don't. He, he, like a girl would batter her eyelids. Yeah, he's not going to bat his ass at me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like He might try and reason with me or, you know, he's like, well, what if I pay for more of it or... He doesn't. He doesn't seem like a good debater. No, probably not. No. Guy, my son is. Is he? Oh, did, did Stephen like? Uh, did your decision get pushed by Steve? Like he he made you change your your mind about things when he bought his first car. No. Oh, I see. Well, you sound like Megan. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, no. He wanted a Camaro. He told me what he wanted, and, and he got I one. got him a watered down version. <laughs> of the Camaro. Yes, it was a Camaro, but there's a four cylinder Mustang. Maybe you could get that. Maybe a four cylinder Mustang yeah. would work for him. Well, that's what we were looking at. It's the Eco. Eco Boost. Mm-hmm. And it's a They're four good. cylinder. So, but I'm like, what's the point of getting a Mustang if it's not got the a V6. Or He's an 18-year-old boy. You don't be saying things like that to him. A V8 Mustang. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but if I'm going to drive it too, oh, well, I want to drive around a four-cylinder Wait Mustang. a second. You're going to drive it too? No, almost never, but right. still. <laughs> you know, my dad has a minivan which has three rows in it for the very same reason that once every two years, my sister comes for a week. <laughs> that's why he still that's has cute. that's why the minivan is still parked in his driveway that's the thing my dad drives this great big yukon and it's just him and my stepmom i'm like why did you buy this great big yukon he's like well if y'all come to visit i was like man we haven't been out here in two years but. <laughs> it's actually cheaper to rent a car than it is to uh to actually have one in your driveway you could rent one for three weeks exactly mind you you always want to rent around the holiday that's sometimes where it's a hundred dollars a a day rental Ugh, yeah. Um, I, I rented a car in Hawaii for three days. It was 350 bucks. Oh, well, that's completely different <laughs> because in Hawaii, if they run out of cars, you get the Mustang. You get the, I always get the Mustang. I got the Mustang. I wanted a Jeep Wrangler. I got a Jeep Wrangler the last time I was in Hawaii. Yeah, I, I should have like, got a Jeep Wrangler. I was so excited. I was going to offer it in Kauai, and then I had to sign all the stuff swearing I wouldn't offer it the car. I was like, gosh, dang it. That's the only reason I rented the Jeep Wrangler. <laughs> all right. So how close are we to getting Noah a car? No closer than we were two weeks ago. Uh, I feel I failed you. No, you haven't failed me. It's just, it's a hard decision. I mean, because like when he's looking at an Audi, I've never been in an Audi. So I'm like, no, we can't buy one of those. I don't know anything about it. uh, Audis are amazing vehicles when they're brand new. But I would hate to think of someone buying an older Audi that had to do the repairs. And then when he has a $3,000 repair bill, which would have cost him $300 in something else. He's going to be crying back to you. That's half the price, you know, of how much he put in for the car. Mercedes oh, is kind of the same way. They're really expensive to repair. It, oh, yeah. Older ones. When I they get yeah, super old. Let him look at a Mercedes. Yeah, I, I'm, I don't know. I, I'm, I keep going back to if you're going to buy an, a car 
that he's looking at in that price range, we are looking at something along the lines of a Japanese car, a Nissan, a Toyota, a Honda, well, those type of things. And what's super tough is, you know, we look online, but then we go to test drive it, and the car is, like, completely trashed out. Yeah. But it looked great in the pictures. Welcome to car shopping. That's why you listen to our auto expert. <laughs> uh, coming up, we'll continue this conversation, plus more good stuff in the show. Stand by. Our auto expert continues. You're listening to Our Auto Expert. Welcome back to the show. Catch up with previous episodes of Our Auto Expert at the website, ourautoexpert.com. You can hear all the past shows, see our automotive videos, and read inside car stories about your next ride. You'll find them at ourautoexpert.com. Megan and Jen in the studio with us here. Uh, Megan... Recently, there was a whole bunch of women got together to talk cars. Yeah, so we have an event every other year called Hills and Wheels, and it's for female automotive journalists, bloggers, uh, female PR people in the car industry. Uh, they had some female engineers there, like the woman that designed the Chrysler Pacifica Hybrid is a, a female engineer, so she kind of talked us through the car. and So it's just a really neat event because... Like we've said before, there are not a lot of women in the automotive industry, so it's really neat to get together and network and see see each other because we don't our paths don't cross that often. So why, why aren't there that many women? You know, I don't know. I think that is going to be a, a slowly changing, you know, changing Landscape. thing. Well, I mean, you think in engineering there's a lack of women too. So I mean, there's just certain well, the chief industries engineer. You still. just told me the chief engineer of Pacifica is a woman. Right. I know the chief engineer of the Equinox is a woman. We've had a bunch of chief engineers on here. It seems like women have no trouble raising to the top. It's just that the volume of women seems to be less. Yeah, but I think I mean I think it's going to grow every year. So I mean that event two years ago was so much smaller than it was this year. I couldn't believe how many women. I, it was double easily. So it was really neat to see, but. Yeah, so we have the opportunity over the course of two days to drive a whole bunch of different cars. Um, you get about 30 minutes in each car. So some of them were, you know, sports cars. They had a uh, Chevy Corvette. That was fun. And then there was an Aston Martin. Is this ZL1? It was, ZL1. yeah. ZL1. Yeah, it was the ZR1. Um, didn't, and you had a good time riding that. I had a wonderful that. time riding in that. I, I love driving that car, so... They had an Aston Martin DBS uh, Super Leggera. Super Leggera, yeah. Leggera, okay. Yeah, that's so. the that's the the supercar. That's the awesome. I went mm-hmm. to I drove that in Germany. In fact, interestingly enough, uh, the place they took us in Germany to drive that. I was looking up at the cliff top behind me, and I was going, I I recognize that building. Where where I'm in the middle of Germany. How can I recognize? Ah. Oh. It was Hitler's eagle's nest. Oh, jeez. Okay. <laughs> like, nice choice of location. Yeah. But the car was amazing. Moving yeah. on. And the car was amazing to drive. It was just in a strange location. The one I drove had this, like, gorgeous red leather interior. And that is hand-stitched by one person. And that person, yeah. it takes 50 hours, yeah. up to 50 hours to stitch that. What I think is incredible there is that the people that build that car can look at a car five years later and tell you which person stitched the seats they can recognize this oh yeah and they can tell if it's left-handed or right-handed yeah. like yeah that's a it's just crazy so but there were a lot of there were other cars there i mean we had a nissan ultima there there was a gmc sierra denali so i saw the new uh six-way tailgate mm, yeah, that's cool with yeah. the step yeah yeah with the step yeah I, I like it. I know not everybody likes it, but I thought it was really cool. The one I drove actually had a speaker in the tailgate. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so if you were, you know, tailgating at a football game or whatever, you could have the, the stereo going. So um, the Jetta, GLI was there, yeah. the Autobahn. That uh, that car is going to be at the Run to the Sun event. Yeah. Oh, fun. That's a super fun little car. Yeah, it, it's basically a Jetta on steroids. Yes. So it's super fast, super well, super great handling. It sort of has more of the Audi DNA. I mean, VW hate me to say this, but it has some sort of Audi A4 DNA in it too, nice. which is kind of cool. They have one of my favorite cars there. They had the uh, Dodge Durango SRT. Yeah, well, who doesn't love that? <laughs> uh, does that, that was it just the uh, the 500 horsepower or was it 707 horsepower? You know what? I didn't. I actually didn't get in a chance to drive it, so I'm <sighs> not sure. Uh, that was an opportunity missed, let me tell mm-hmm. you, because Jen had been under the hood of that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the amazing vehicle, especially the rear-wheel drive and the amount of power. What was your favorite drive out of the vehicles? Oh, by far it was the Corvette. Was it? Mm-hmm. I never saw you as a Corvette girl. You know, it it's funny. The Jen thing. It, it's not my first time <laughs> driving a Corvette, but this time I just loved it. I mean, it just handles so well. It sounds so, like, mean and gritty and... I mean, just it's such a powerful vehicle. I mean, it's just an amazing drive experience. I so think. What was the event like? What did you do? Uh, you know, we kicked off in the morning. Um, the different uh, gals from the manufacturers would get up and talk, and so we got kind of a, a briefing. Presentation. Yeah, we had different presentations, and then we were released to drive. So I had the same drive partner for two days, and we just tried to drive as many cars as we could. So we spent anywhere from thirty minutes to an hour in one of the cars. So who's your drive partner? Uh, Liza, Liza Morales, uh-huh. XOXO Liza. Yeah, I know her well. Yeah, she's super fun. So she's a Latina blogger, and she's just she's got this huge personality, and we just had a really good time. She's kind of like a Betty Boop in a sense too, with the big red lips, and she's always she wears her heart sunglasses, yeah. and yeah, she's super fun. So super savvy. She does a lot of car events. We we actually we met for the first time at a car event many years ago. Right at a Ford event. Right. Is, do you think there's more lifestyle women uh, in automotive than there is uh, women who Because I see very few hardcore engineering women. A lot of these, the sort of women in cars are more lifestyle. Um, there's very few women who will sort of get under the hood and talk about horsepower and that sort of thing. There's, <coughs> there's even less of those women. I would agree with that. So well, I w- apart from you, Jen, <laughs> getting dirty stares from across the room. No, it's true. It's very true. And a lot of women, you know, are happy to talk about lifestyles and car usage. You know, 80% of car transactions in the United States of America only take place under the given sanction of a woman. So husbands will say, yes, they want this car, but it has to be approved by their partner. Well, and a lot of, I mean, I know you and I look at cars very different. So that's what's been interesting about you helping Noah car hunting because I'm looking at it completely different than you are. And, you know, I look at something, I'm like, that that looks pretty good. And you're like, that's that's going to cost way too much to fix. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> like the mean budget dad. I thought it had like killer lumbar support. So I was like, yeah, this one, you know. <laughs> I, 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 I told uh, several of the dealers when we went car shopping, you know, when Noah calls at 2 o'clock in the morning from a gas station 20 miles from his apartment in uh, at, at school and says – my car's broken down. It's going to be their responsibility to get him home. Well, that would be ideal, but I don't know if that's, you know, actually going to happen. Well, but I need I need them to understand if they sell him a car, it can't break down. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think he would do great with it. A, gr- a great vehicle to own, first of all, is a Tiguan. 
You know what? He really liked it. I like Volkswagen. So another brand I like is Kia. I just was in a Kia Forte EX. Uh-huh. I spent about a week in it driving around Texas. Um, it was the 2019 model, and I felt like it was really different from the year before. It's got way more technology on it. Um, they, it's comfortable, too. It, it, it is super comfortable. In fact, my mom was with us part of the time, so some of the time I had all three kids in the back row, and they were totally fine. I mean, they weren't thrilled because they were touching each other, but, <laughs> you know, it wasn't it wasn't miserable, let's put it that way. And it had, it had air in the back, which is pretty crucial for any time you're going to put kids in the back. But um, one of the safety features that really startled me was um, I was coming off the highway, and I guess the car sensed that the car in front of me was going to stop, that car came to such an abrupt stop. I mean, a complete stop so fast. I could not believe it. I've Did never it had that the, happen. Scare the hebas out of you? It didn't really scare me, but it was shocking. So, I mean, it's cool that it's got that technology on it. I mean, it's going to save a life, but it was still, it was quick. You can actually buy a brand new Nissan Versa for less than $15,000. I don't even know what a Nissan Versa is. Oh, wow. <laughs> They're cute. There's it's a smaller a vehicle. It's kind I mean, of like it's a not Forte. a sexy Mustang, and Noah's probably... I mean, he has a girlfriend. Why would he need to uh, want girls to like him? But it has lane departure warning. It has automatic emergency braking as standard with pedestrian detection. Mm-hmm. Has Nissan put the ProPilot technology on no, that? You can get all of that stuff, uh, similar stuff to that, but then you're up to uh, 18000 Yeah. Okay. So once you start stacking the vehicle up, you're talking about an eighteen, nineteen thousand dollar car with all the extras. Well, the Kia Forte I was driving tapped out at like twenty six thousand. It's fully loaded. Right. I mean, so some of these cars are pretty reasonable. Yeah, I mean, new. you could buy something that's a couple of years old, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and get all those say oh, safety features. Such a mom thing. Me repair stuff. Such a dad thing. Well, I spent months and months looking for <laughs> a Nissan Rogue. I used re- Nissan Rogue with the ProPilot technology on it, but people are keeping them. Yeah. Oh yeah. They don't want to give them up. Nope. Yeah. Uh, you have to pry them out of their hands. All right. Are you going to be able to get in our new car? A I'm getting exhausted, one? by the way. No, Not just a, br- a new car. Period for him. Not a brand new one. Getting him a, a new car to him. Is it going to happen? Yeah, I mean, it's going to happen eventually. Well, does, isn't Mini has a thing going on right now as far as um, kids in school? The Mini Oxford, yeah. yeah. All right, coming up, more auto expert on the show. We're going to do a deep delve into uh, Perry Stern, and we're going to talk about the Porsche and lots more stuff coming up. You're listening to the Our Auto Expert Podcast. Welcome back to Our Auto Expert. I'm here with Jen, and we are going to talk about an event which is coming up, which Jen and I have been putting together over the last few months, called Run to the Sun. And this is a summer driving event. It's a rally where 24 journalists will get together with 24 different cars and drive over the course of three days, two and a half, two and a half days, so half yeah. a day, full day, half a day. And it's a rally-style event where uh, we get to drive all these new cars and uh, SUVs, performance and convertibles. And every 20 miles, every 30 miles, we stop and change cars. Um, and Jen's been putting this together. So where is it taking place this year, Jen? Tell us all about it from your side. Oh, well, I'm in charge of the food. <laughs> um, actually, it's and up- the books and other stuff. You're <laughs> yeah. a co-chair on yeah, the event. Yeah, I'm co-chairing. Um, it's actually at Skamania Lodge this year, um, which is a little different than where we normally have it. So, very excited for a new location. 
Um, uh, so Skamania Stout Lodge is in Stevenson, Washington. Mm-hmm. If you're not familiar with that, if you're listening in Chicago or Seattle, oh, or, yeah. you know Portland, it's in Stevenson, Washington. And Washington it's State. beautiful uh, up there. in the mountains or the edge of the mountains. Uh, it's uh, a big resort-style hotel, and uh, we will drive out from that resort-style hotel for those two days. Mm-hmm. Everyone will fly into Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And then they will get their first car, and we will drive it up to Skamania Lodge. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, what you're looking forward to. You've seen the list of cars, right? You saw. I've them got morning. the list open oh, right here. Pow. So I know that. Are you putting together the driving list? Because yeah. I know which one I want to drive first. <laughs> <laughs> Can you guess which one? Is it the ZL one? Yes. But, but that's not. It's not going to be the necessarily the best route to drive it on from from the airport out to Skamania Lodge. That's the longest route, isn't it? It's um, mm, no, no. pretty close. <laughs> How about you? Which which one do you want to drive? I'm first? actually excited in driving the Rolls Royce and the Slingshot. I know the Slingshot. That is going to be fantastic. And the Supra, because I want to buy a Supra. And the RCF Track Edition. Yeah, there's Lexus a lot RCF of good Track. ones to pick so, from. So let's re- read the cars off. Read the cars off? Yeah. Ford Expedition. No, uh, no, Explorer. no, 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 the Explorer, Explorer ST. Explorer ST. So this is the performance version of the Explorer. Uh, and the ST, of course, is the Ford sort of racing division. Uh, I have driven the Ford Explorer ST, and it is worthy of a performance badge. Really? It is hot. It is fast. It is fun. And it'll allow you to break the law. Oh, we got the Dodge Challenge, or God, I can't even talk today. Challenger wide body. That's yeah, going to so be the wide body of it's, it's all those extra width on the vehicle mm-hmm. and extra power. So Challenge is always fun to drive any day of the week. And um, I think uh, hopefully they'll bring an automatic one. So uh, you know, no, 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 don't mess that up. Um, and the Toyota Supra. The Supra's good. Mm-hmm. What else do we have here? Oh, the Jeep Wrangler. I love the Wranglers. Yeah, the Wranglers are in the soft op as, as well as we have a, a Fiat 124, a Bart. Oh, um, look at that. And, uh, and a Mazda RS, RS, RF. An AMG G63. Yeah, that's the G-Wagon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have the... Uh, it's not what I'm driving this week, the G63. I'm driving the regular. Mm. Um, uh, this also has the Stinger. AMG. The, the Stinger GTS. Yes, I'm excited about that. That's going to be a G70 lot of fun. The G70 as well from mm-hmm. Genesis, plus the Mercedes-Benz uh, GT4 door, which is like the Porsche Panamera. That is phenomenal. Phenomenal. The Got the Stelvio. Stelvio again this from uh, from Alfa Romeo. Mm-hmm. That's going to be fun to drive. What else do you like? R type uh, or Type R. Sorry, yeah. I always say R type. Honda Type R front wheel drive. Yep. Okay. What else do we Performance have? Performance car. Ooh, Nissan. dollars. The 50th anniversary edition of the Z, yes. the 370Z. Can't wait for that one. Yeah, nice coloring too. Really? Yeah. Okay, what else do we have here? Um, we say the Countryman, Mini Countryman, mm-hmm. John Cooper Works Veloster, the Hyundai Veloster N. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's fun. The N is again like the Type R performance uh, <laughs> performance coupe. Yeah, we got a couple from. Uh, oh, we got one from Subaru. That the is the new Legacy XT, which is their kind of performance version of it. Brand new Legacy with that 11.6-inch screen on the inside, too. Yeah. Um, looking forward to driving that because I haven't mm-hmm. yet. And a couple from Volkswagen. Uh, the Arteon and the GLI. Which I can't the, wait to drive. Yeah, the Arteon actually is one of my favorite cars. It was one of my best buys this year. Really? Too. Yeah. Oh, I can't keep track of you and your cars. <laughs> <laughs> and the Miata. Uh, this is the RF version of the Miata MX-5, as it's actually called now, the Mazda MX-5. It has the retractable hardtop. 
which is kind of cool. RDX. Uh, yeah, Acura RDX. This is their um, A-Spec version, their performance version of the RDX, their brand new uh, smaller SUV. A lot of fun to drive. Yeah, we got a lot of good cars here. I think we got them all, didn't we? Uh, yeah, probably. There's a Rolls-Royce coming. There's a Slingshot coming. There's quite a few. Uh, this year, there will be five categories as well. Uh, sedan, performance car, performance SUV, convertible, and overall winner. So, looks really tough this year. I don't know. I think that slingshot's in for a run. <laughs> uh, coming up, more our auto expert. We'll talk to Perry Stern about the brand new Porsche uh, hybrid, the Cayenne. And uh, this, my friends, is an SUV with some sporty, very dynamic driving processes on it. So if you want to find out about that, how it could be in your garage, that's all coming up on our auto expert. You're listening to Our Auto Expert. Welcome back to Our Auto Expert. Catch up with previous episodes of the show at their website. It's ourautoexpert.com. You can hear all past shows, see our automotive videos, and read inside the car stories about your next ride. You'll find them all at ourautoexpert.com on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and start a conversation with us right there. Happy to answer all your car questions. Another person that's happy to answer all our car questions is Perry Stern. Uh, Perry also writes for Our Auto Expert, and you can see his work on MSN Autos. Perry, you got the chance to drive a Porsche hybrid Cayenne. Uh, is this still a real Porsche, even if it's a hybrid? It is. Uh, you know, it, you know, when people hear hybrid, I think a lot of people think Prius. Uh, this is about as un-Prius as a hybrid can be. Uh, Porsche is real. I mean, it's a Porsche hybrid, so it's all about performance. But you still get the efficiency of a hybrid too. So they have a couple different versions that have come out. Uh, there is the, I guess you call it base model if you want, uh, the Cayenne e-hybrid, which is a plug-in hybrid. You get about 21 miles of electric driving only. And then you've got a six-cylinder engine combined with a pretty powerful electric motor for amazing performance. I mean, you're talking over 500 horsepower out of this car. Who uh, who buys these vehicles? Is it the affluent? Is it the earth healthy? Who's who's the biggest audience for these uh, Porsche hybrids? I think it's probably more affluent. I mean, even the you know the more basic model, which is you know, like you said, the e hybrid, which is actually about four hundred and fifty horsepower, it starts at eighty thousand dollars. Well, I mean, that is not (laughs) an expensive car. That's a bit of a sticker shock if you think what else costs $80,000 these days. You can get yourself into some high-end Mercedes for that sort of same price. This is true. But, I mean, the the Cayenne brings a lot to the table. So you've got, you know, all told 455 horsepower and a ton of torque because it's an electric motor that's providing a lot of the power. But it has different modes. So, for example, if you're at full charge, you can go... 21 miles on as an EV, as an electric car. You can cruise through town uh, perfectly silent, not burning any fossil fuels. You put it in Sport Plus mode, which is the opposite end of the scale. You get all of the power of the gas engine, all of the power of the electric motor. And while it's giving you all this power, it's charging the batteries for the next time you want to drive as an EV. One, and so it's kind of the best of both worlds. One of the things that I always get you know, niggled about in some of these uh, hybrid electric cars is the fact that zero to 60 miles an hour seems so sluggish. How does it do in that department? Uh, I would say it's, it's, it is appropriate for a Porsche. So the e-hybrid, I believe, goes zero to 60 uh, in 
under five seconds. Uh, I mean, it is it is quite quick. But if that's not quite quick enough for you, they have a brand new model. Actually, they have a brand new model that's coming out, uh, the Turbo S e-hybrid. So what they've done is they've taken that same hybrid powertrain and they teamed it with a turbocharged V8 engine. And so now, instead of getting you know 455 horsepower, you're getting 670. All right, that, I mean that that that's a huge amount, <laughs> especially in a hybrid. It almost seems ridiculous that amount of horsepower uh, to to get it out of it. When you were on the event, did you get to uh, you know sort of do the usual? Did you get to take it on a track? How was the event? Didn't get to take it on the track. We actually were down uh, your neck of the woods. We were down a little further south in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, but we did get to take them on some pretty twisty roads. And while the standard, the standard $80,000 e-hybrid is impressive, it's the Turbo S that just blows you away. I mean, it's so quick. It's zero to 60 is three and a half seconds. Uh, it's, will go, if you have enough space, 180 miles an hour plus. Woo. And it handles like a Porsche. It's, you know, even though it looks like an SUV, I mean, it's got all the space of an SUV. You can get the coupe version, if you like, which is a bit more slope-proof. You know, people think of a coupe as a two-door. Apparently, that definition has now been thrown out the window by everybody. Uh, so now they call the sleeker-looking Cayenne a Cayenne coupe. Uh, and now, Don't ask me why. Now, Porsche also uh, are going a little more than hybrid. They're getting into the full electric vehicle. They have the Taycan coming, which they're announcing uh, in, in the beginning of September. Uh, th- is there going to be a full electric version of this vehicle? They have not made that announcement, and I don't know if that is in the cards, at least in this generation. I mean, the, their very first, like you said, the very first electric car is just coming out now, and I would say that it will work its way through. Interesting thing, though, is when we drove the 911, the brand-new 911 earlier this year, when you look at the way the transmission and engine is set up, it's clearly set up to be able to have an electric motor in there, too. All right, so they redesigned it to be able to do that. Uh, This is not their first uh, version of uh, a hybrid vehicle. I mean, the Panamera's had hybrid for quite a while. Is it the first time that the Cayenne e-hybrid has had had a, uh, uh, or they've had a Cayenne version of the hybrid? Um, it is the first one of this generation. They have had a hybrid before, but they've never had a plug-in hybrid. All right. And so what's the sort of mileage you can do on the electricity alone? Um, and how, um, you know, how far will it go? How long does it take to recharge? So it goes about 21 miles on electric only. Uh, they're saying it's at a 220 charge will take about two and a half to three hours, uh, to get to a full charge. Um, on a 110, probably take about twice that long. Uh, they haven't announced fuel economy yet, but in the standard e-hybrid, uh, just in you know pretty aggressive driving, we were getting close to 30 miles per gallon. Is there any way to dif- differentiate these vehicles when you uh, look between a regular and uh, the hybrid, or is it just you're looking for a plug-in door? It's it's. There's uh, a couple telltale signs. You've got green brake calipers. All right, that's always a giveaway with Porsche because they're bright green too. They're not just a very subtle green, right? Yes, acid green they call it. Uh, (laughs) So that stands out. All of the labels are also in green. So if you see a Cayenne driving down the road and the label is in green in the back, uh, that's also the telltale. But it does have a couple little hybrid logos on it too. But at first glance... It really doesn't look much different than any other Cayenne on the road. Did you notice the ride uh, any different? 
Um, the ride isn't much different. I mean, than a standard Cayenne, it's uh, you know the one main advantage is you get a full electric mode, which is kind of cool. I mean, to drive a car that's it's not a small car. I mean, it's it easily seats five with a lot of cargo space. I mean, it's a decent sized SUV, and even in electric mode, it's got pretty reasonable performance. It'll go up to eighty three miles an hour on electric only. And do you think Porsche are going to sell a lot of these? I think they'll sell a good number of them. I mean, the the hybrid makes more sense, I think, than the gas engine, just because you get all that performance that you would otherwise. Plus, you have the you know the fuel efficiency. But you know, you're talking an eighty thousand plus vehicle. The turbo starts at one hundred and sixty thousand dollars. So, I mean, think the the price alone is just going to make it so this is not. This is not going to sell at the level of a Prius. Let's put it that way. No, I mean, it's a completely different audience for this as well. You're looking at an audience that probably much prefers a luxury and performance, definitely on the uh, inside and outside of the vehicle. Uh, One of the things I always worry about these, first of all, is it going to, it's probably going to be made in Germany. Is that right? I believe so, yes. Uh, uh, I don't know that they've made that official announcement, but yes, I would expect so. And these, there's usually a limited number that's available, right? They haven't made any limitation on it at this point. So, I mean, uh, I would imagine they will build as many as people want. They will probably have some special editions that uh, will be limited. But I believe that as many people as want a $160,000 turbocharged hybrid Cayenne can have one. How, what's the thrill of, of driving a Porsche? Because really, I mean, the, the sports cars, the 911s, is where they're most famous for. But what's the thrill of actually owning a Porsche? It's it's like any not like anything else really. I mean, the 911, of course, is is kind of the benchmark. And I remember the first time I drove 911, and before I got in, I thought you know it's all just a lot of hype. And then you get in, and the steering is just so perfect and so precise, and the car is so perfectly balanced. The Cayenne isn't quite to that level because you're talking about a 5,000 plus you know pound vehicle. So you know there's only so much they can do to defy the laws of physics. But given that this, it is a large vehicle, the acceleration is dramatic. Handling is quite good. You know, eventually, if you push it hard enough, physics is going to win, and the mass <laughs> is just going to keep you pushing. But it's got big, wide, sticky tires. It's full-time all-wheel drive. It has torque vectoring, which means it can send power to different wheels depending on what it needs for the best uh, control. So Porsche does everything they can to make this drive as as well as any other high-performance SUV, certainly. One of the exciting things I think the Porsche have managed to do is uh, the technology of their performance, not just about raw power hitting the road, but it's also about refined power hitting the road. Porsche able to do things like know when a car, a surface of a road is wet and have the car adjust its uh, driving to that. They showed that off in the new 911. Also, uh, a lot of technology to make sure that the driver does less work to get better performance out of the vehicle. Presuming that this new uh, the Cayenne is packed with that same sort of technology. It is, in fact, it has some some pretty amazing technology with regard to um, I guess you call it the nav system. They call it InnoDrive. Uh, I assume for innovation, and it's basically an adaptive cruise control that you know. And we've you know basically adaptive cruise control keeps track of the car in front of you. Will also typically keep you in the lane depending on the level of it. The one in the in the Cayenne actually uses onboard navigation data and cloud-based information to uh, basically calculate what the route is going to be for the next about two miles, and will 
optimize acceleration, optimize the suspension, and basically make the vehicle set up perfectly for whatever the route is coming up is. I noticed so it's actually reading the road ahead of time. Right. I noticed on the inside of the car, looking at just the design, there is uh, off of the side of the steering wheel, a three-spoke steering wheel with buttons on the right, like phone, uh, hang up and dial, uh, back button. And then on the left-hand side, it looks like your cruise control buttons. But there's also this sort of little round button at the bottom off of the steering wheel that looks like uh, some kind of cruise control. What's that for? Actually, it's the best button ever. Uh, that's the, I believe you're referring to the Sport Chrono. Uh, button and this is where you can dial in the different settings all right so you can put it in e mode which basically keeps as long as there's battery charge it will not start up the gasoline engine unless you go full throttle when you go full throttle all bets are off it gives you all the power you want but you can also put it in hybrid mode which will be a nice balance it will put it in electric mode whenever it can uh sport mode gives you all the power of the electric motor as well as the motor of the power of the gas engine and then Sport Plus turns everything on to maximum, uh, where it will run the it'll run the engine to give you the best performance at the same time charging the battery, so that while you're driving along having a great time, you're actually charging up the battery for the next time you want to drive in pure EV mode. I think the, the best part is the button in the middle, though. Uh, oh, the button wait. in the middle gives. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think you should sell that to Porsche, by the way, and say it's the best button ever. It should be the best button ever button. <laughs> it is the best button ever button, because the best button ever button is the button in the middle, All right. which is the equivalent of Turbo Boost. When you push that button for, I believe it's about 10, 15 seconds, it gives you as much power as the car can provide. Full maximum torque, maximum electric motor, um, and... I actually used that button in a 911 once the first time I was driving it, and it scared me to death because suddenly we <laughs> shot off like a rocket. Uh, I just <laughs> you bring smiles to my face, Perry. It's, it's the I need to get away from the cops now button. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Although we all know that that does not work. I just I just have this image of you getting out the house, uh, getting getting to the house and getting out the car, and your your wife being at the front door, and you getting out the car all sweaty, and she's like, "What's wrong, honey?" He goes, "I pushed the best button ever button. Oh, <laughs> it really scared me." <laughs> Perhaps it's the best ever scary button. I don't know. Uh, Perry, Perry, thanks for joining us to talk about the brand new Porsche Hybrid Cayenne, uh, which is uh, coming to the market soon, and uh, we you can read all Perry's stuff at MSN Autos, or of course. At our auto expert when we return we're going to be talking about well some more auctions and some really cool elvis cars that are going on sale or one in particular that's going to be up for sale if you happen to have the money that's coming up next you're listening to the our auto expert podcast Welcome back to our Auto Expert, locally created, nationally celebrated from the northwest to the southeast. This is America's Car Radio Show. If it has a throttle, we'll feature it on air, online, on mobile, and on smart speaker. This is our Auto Expert. I'm your host, Nick Miles, along with truck girl Jen. Uh, Jen, do you like older cars? Yes, I love older cars. You I like prefer them. What era is your favorite? I would have to say the 30s. Um, late 30s, early 40s. You know, if you're uh, so inclined and you have the budget, you can actually get hold of an Elvis car. I know, isn't that exciting? 
Bridget uh, Cruz from uh, the auctions, uh, GWS Auctions, is joining us on the phone because uh, you guys have the honor of selling one of Elvis Presley's, at least one, maybe more, of Elvis Presley's special vehicles. We actually, yes, we're very honored. We have several of his vehicles in the upcoming event that we have at the Hard Rock on August 31st here in Hollywood. So it's super exciting. So tell me a little bit about how you guys get to sell a car of this caliber. Well, you know, I'm a fifth generation auctioneer and traditionally my family was in the car auction business. Well, that never quite interested me. I've always had a passion for film and fashion and in Hollywood. And since we're in Los Angeles, that really became my primary focus and it's kind of what we've become known for. And in particular Elvis. You know, we've sold a lot of Elvis artifacts and you know, including his jet and some really cool items in the past. So how did you guys get to sell the cars? You know, a lot of these vehicles at this point are obviously owned by private collectors and museums and, you know, even some studios. So they really do come from different places. Uh, a couple of items that we have coming up of his is, of course, the motorcycle, which is the last Harley Davidson he purchased for himself before he passed away on August 11th of 1976 is when he purchased the one that we're selling. And we actually have proof that he loved it so much. He purchased it in California, but he took it back to Memphis. Uh, where we have documentation that he did that, you know, almost within 90 days before he passed away. So we're really excited about that. And we also have the Roadster from his first starring role in a film, Loving You. It's never been offered before, never been sold privately, never been in an auction, and we're selling it for the 90-year-old widow of the gentleman who built it in 1937. Phenomenal. How excited are people about the uh, the Elvis vehicles for sale? Are you getting lots of inquiries? Are you getting lots of people asking how much they'll go for? I mean, and then probably the next question is going to be how much are they going to go for? You know, that is the question of the hour. There's <laughs> never really, the exciting thing about these is, you know, there hasn't been an Elvis Presley motorcycle put up for auction in over 30 years. This is the first time. And with this being the last one that he ever purchased for himself, that's going to be something pretty phenomenal and pretty special. Whoever purchases it, it obviously should be in a museum or, or a very prestigious collection. And as far as the other automobiles, you know, everything with Elvis is so special. There's a story attached to every single asset that he really ever touched. So as far as what they're going to go for, it's really hard to tell because there's really been nothing like this ever offered at auction before. So, you know, it's kind of the question of the hour. Is it 100000 Is it a million? We'll all find out together on August 31st. What, uh, you know, so apart from the 1929 Ford Roadster hot rod that was used in uh, Loving You, you also have a, a white-on-white 1973 uh, Lincoln Continental? Yes, this was the limo that Elvis was actually photographed in driving himself. I mean, you don't get much more rock and roll than that. The king of rock and roll driving himself in his own white limo. So that is a fantastic piece. And I think the other neat thing about that is it was in a museum for a very, very long time. Again, first time it's ever been offered. Uh, and, and the neat thing is we found out through our research, there's actually photographs of Elvis stopping to check on 
uh, people that were involved in an accident in Memphis. And it was a big story during the time he was driving that limo. So there's great pictures of Elvis in it, not only checking on people to make sure they're okay after an accident, but also just driving himself around, you know, which is super cool. Now, that, that's the sort of thing I can see people going pretty crazy over is the limo because there's probably pl- plenty of limo companies in Vegas and uh, in L.A. that would want to have it as part of the fleet. And uh, I can see it being used in wedding packages and all those type of things is right in the same limo as Elvis did as well. So that's probably gaining a lot of interest too. It is. You know, anything attached to Elvis, the cars are always a more unique and specific collector. You know, like you said, museums, they love things like that. Personally, I would love to see Lincoln get involved and, and maybe purchase this for their museum just because of the story behind it. But it's a phenomenal piece. And the fact that it has been so well-preserved, you know, it still has the same interior. Uh, and it's actually not in that bad of shape it's for its age. I mean, I hope I look like that when I'm almost 60 years old. <laughs> it's really beautiful. You know, Elvis at heart was a country boy. Uh, he came from the country. Um, his, his sort of music uh, had that country influence. And so, of course, in the Elvis collection of vehicles, there has to be pickup trucks. Mm-hmm. Oh, what what auction would be complete without an Elvis pickup truck? And actually, they are pretty rare. He purchased three uh, when he purchased Circle G Ranch, which was kind of his getaway from it all. Even though it wasn't really that far from Graceland, he wouldn't allow cameras there. It was really his way to just get away. You know, he had a hun- over 180 acres there where he would pal around with his with his Memphis Mafia buddies and, and just kind of get away from it all. So to have a truck from that ranch is incredibly special. And this is one of three, uh, and it's the only one that's available in the world. So tell me where people can see these, uh, these items for auction and where they can find out more if they're interested in bidding. Absolutely. So if they want to bid in the auction, they would visit bid.gwsauctions.com. So they're able to register for the auction. They'll also be able to participate in the live event and see it all happen live from the Hard Rock on August 31st. We start at 10 a.m. And if you would like to view any of the vehicles or the motorcycle or anything else that's in the sale, all you would do is just call our office, and we're available to show that to anyone anytime. Now, is there reserves on any of these? You know, there are reserves on about 10% of the auction. That's pretty standard. But I can tell you, the people that are selling these assets, whether it be museums, studios, collectors, what we do is we really let them know, hey, you know, we are spending all of this money on the auction. We're introducing it to the world so it can be appreciated. Let's get ready to sell it. And, and our sellers are ready to sell. So all I right. can tell you, everything's going to go on auction day. I'm sure that somebody's standing out there ready to buy uh, Bridget Cruz uh, from GWS Auctions. If you want to buy some Elvis Presley memorabilia, you probably want to uh, get there right now. Bridget, thanks very much for joining us. I'm not... Jen, I can actually see you in the back of the Elvis limo and me driving mm-hmm. with a British chauffeur hat on. Really? Yeah, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. You'd probably be much happier in this pickup truck. Yeah, I was looking at the pickup truck. I think that'd be pretty cool. What color is that truck? Uh, Pickup truck? I think it's uh, it's white. All right, coming up, more Our Auto Expert as our show continues. You're listening to Our Auto Expert.
Welcome back to the show. Catch up with previous episodes of Our Auto Expert at OurAutoExpert.com. You can hear all those past shows and see some of our automotive videos from TV, read inside car stories, and find out about your next ride. It's all at OurAutoExpert.com. If you're a Grand Prix fan, uh, Grand Prix is back in Portland. It was reborn a couple years ago, and it's it's doing extremely well. Uh, Jerry Jensen joining us on the phone to talk about that uh, jerry it's getting close but i hear ticket sales are going really well yeah hey thank you nick it's always great to be on the show i really appreciate it um but yeah you hit the nail right on the head with that uh ticket sales have been going uh, phenomenal you know even uh, when we when we pre-launched the tickets uh, earlier in the year uh we just had a tremendous response but uh you know especially now in the months leading up to the race uh, week by week, tickets are really selling like hotcakes. So, so a lot of excitement in town for uh, IndyCar racing back here in Portland. I noticed that when I go to the website, some of the areas are grayed out here. So the base tickets are already sold out for uh, the bronze tickets. Uh, you're, we're moving on to uh, to silver and gold, which are the only two packages still available for the race. What do you get with each different level of ticket? Well, you know, you'll get an admission to the event, obviously, you, um, you know, and the event has all sorts of different activities. We like to think of it as a big, uh, a big festival, you know, for automotive and race fans and, uh, you know, just for people looking for different activities to do around town. But, uh, you know, they also, they range from, uh, the packages will range from reserve grandstand seating for Saturday and Sunday. And then also with the gold package, that seating is actually, on the inside, with what used to be referred to as the festival curves, it's now the Monty Shelton curves, and that also includes a paddock pass. So that's what you also get with the gold ticket. There seems to be an awful lot of activity going on over the Grand Prix in Portland, including the uh, NTT uh, the IndyCar series, there's the Road to Indy, there is the MX-5 Cup, there is the Stadium uh, Super trucks there is a lot no absolutely and you know it's action-packed and for people who haven't been to an 80 car race you know particularly here in portland you know there's 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 activity going on all day long on the track um and as you as you mentioned you know the, the newest thing that we have this year is the stadium super trucks and uh they just put on a, a great great show we, we pull out these temporary jump ramps they jump through the air. They get up on two wheels sometimes as they're going through the corners. And, um, you know, it's just a, we think it's just a terrific value add for the event this, uh, this year. If, if, you're, if you're unfamiliar, by the way, with stadium uh, super trucks, the, these are the trucks that they look somewhat like trucks, but uh, they don't act like trucks. These, <laughs> the, the picture you have on the website is, uh, is both trucks up on two wheels. Uh, so as they go around corners mm-hmm. as well. So it's much more sort of a uh, different style of almost uh, NASCAR in, in a sense too. Uh, the, what's the difference between the uh, Indy Series and the Road to Indy races? Well, the Road to Indy races is really the stepping stone to Indy car. So you've got a couple different series. You've got uh, the F2000 that would be um, a little bit of a smaller car. It steps up from there to the Indy Pro which is a little bit bigger engine, so they're going to be a little bit faster. And then you have Indy Lights, which is going to be another step up. And then finally, you know, you have the Indy Car Series. So it's really for 
for, I don't want to use the word kids, but for people that are trying to make a career in IndyCar, you know, it's really the, the stepping stone, the launch pad. You know, if you want to use a, a baseball analogy, you know, we, refer, we kind of refer to the Indy Light Series as being the AAA league of IndyCar, you know, before you hit the majors. So that's really what it is. It's not only for the drivers, it's for the mechanics, it's for the teams, it's for everybody, you know, to really acclimate themselves and, and truly get hands-on experience with what it's like being part of a racing team and what it's like to be a professional uh, professional driver. So, and then, and then great action, great yeah. racing, though, throughout the whole field in each one of the series. So I don't like to discount it at all. I mean, because, you know, in, in all honesty, I mean, they put on some fabulous races. And then uh, Nexon Tire, oh, sorry, BF Goodrich's uh, signature series, the Mazda uh, 24-hour, Road to the Mazda 24-hour, which is obviously the MX-5 Cup. Uh, these are vehicles which many of us could actually afford and drive ourselves uh, since uh, Mazda have sold around a million of these worldwide. But they seem to be fairly, uh, you know, fairly uh, huge category because people love to race these little sports cars. They are, and and Nick, that's actually one of the funnest races to watch because we can have entries up to fifty cars for that race, and you know they they run nose to tail for essentially the whole race. So they put on an amazing show. And you're right, they they are based on the Mazda MX-5, the little two seat convertible, used to be referred to as the Miata. Um, but they put a roll cage in, they beef up the suspension in them, you know, they've been uh, improved for safety reasons, reasons as well as performance. But uh, it's, it's a fun show to watch. What do, the dri- what do the drivers get out of these apart from, you know, competing? Is there prize money? Because I know in the MX-5 Cup there is a scholarship available. There is, and it's it's the same uh, same with the with the road to Indy as well. You know, they provide a scholarship to the to the championship winners of each one of those categories, which provides provides an incentive for them to move up to the next class. And even the winner of Indy Lights is uh, he does get a financial incentive to uh, to get into IndyCar as well. So it is it is really like a scholarship. You know, that's really the best way to look at it. I know that Kyle Keenan, one of our friends of the show, is actually in the Indy, uh, in the Indy Cup, um, the MX-5, sorry, uh, Cup, and uh, he races there quite a lot. But is this the sort of entry level for the amateur racer, or are these guys all professional in the MX-5s? No, I would say it's, it's a great place for, for amateur racers. You know, there are, there are certain teams and certain drivers that maybe are on more of a professional path, but by no means does that discount uh, the amateurs from joining as well. You know, because, you know, the competition, again, is so tight, and you never know who's going who's gonna to come out winning the race. So in all of these car classes, I mean, it's sort of a step up to a step up to a step up. I mean, you can start with something like the MX-5 Cup, and that's an opportunity if you want to become a racer and you get in with a local team. But when we start to get to things like the NTT Indy Car Series, we're talking about serious money and serious speeds and big big money teams, right? No, absolutely. But, you know, every one of the drivers that's uh, in IndyCar uh, you know, they also had to start somewhere. So whether they came from go-karting and then into F2000 or, you know, we have several drivers from Europe who came up to karting and then Formula 3. And we even have uh, a couple couple of the drivers that came from Formula 1 and have come over to IndyCar from there. So, it, again, you know, 
with racing, it is comparable to other uh, major league sports. You know, you've got to start out kind of on a little league level and, you know, play through school and, and get up to AAA and, and earn yourself a spot with the pros. I love I love the idea of uh, being able to come out for the whole day. So the races start, when do they start? The gates open at 8.30. And then uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we've got on-track activity literally throughout the entire day. Friday, uh, Friday is typically going to be your practice and some qualifying. And again, we have every class running on every day. So we have Indy cars running on Friday, they're running on Saturday, and then of course we have the Indy car race on Sunday. But we've also essentially have every class running every day too. So on Saturday you'll see you'll see practice and qualifying and qualifying and races depending on what the class is. And then same thing with Sunday, you know, you're gonna see a full day schedule of of races so it's great it really and, is and reminding everybody of the day this is august 30th through september the first i do like the idea that you actually have a countdown to how many days until the race begins on your website so those people who <laughs> yeah. are super excited about that remind us about prices of tickets as well uh, jerry well you know the the best value we have is uh friday it's a general admission ticket it's twenty dollars to get in and, uh, you know, it gets you into the event, gets you around the grounds. If you have uh, children, children uh, 12 and under are all free with a ticketed adult. And then, uh, you know, you do have a paddock pass opportunity as well. Um, children 12 and under can get into the paddock free with a, with a ticketed adult for the paddock, too. So, Perfect. I mean, it's a, it's a terrific value. It really right. is. And then it just steps up a little bit there for Saturday and Sunday. But all right. Jerry Jensen from the Grand Prix of Portland. Thanks for joining us. And if you want your tickets, of course, the website, you can go to portlandgp.com where you can find out exactly what tickets are available. You're listening to the Our Auto Expert Podcast. Welcome back to the show. Uh, catch up with the previous episodes of the show at our website, ourautoexpert.com. You can hear all the past shows and our automotive videos are there. Read inside car stories about your next ride. You'll find them at ourautoexpert.com. Of course, on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Start a conversation with us and you can see all the latest automotive news. One guy that has his finger on the pulse of automotive news, Anton Warman. You can see many of his uh, articles at Seeking Alpha. Uh, Anton, I was looking at some reports about the sales of Prius. This is the car that really made its mark, put a flag in the sand, put a flag on the moon for Toyota and definitely for hybrid vehicles. But the days of Prius seem, seem to be gone. The sales are waning and uh, there seems to be a lot of competition. That's right. So to understand what happened with the Prius, I think we have to put it a little bit in historical perspective. The car in its uh, most successful generation really hit the U.S. market in 2004. And it really was the first car by a wide margin to, first of all, deliver upon uh, almost 50 miles per gallon in a very practical package that was priced right and was also tremendously reliable. And that worked well for a few years. But at some point, there were only so many people who were willing to overcome what was considered to be, frankly, there's no way to put a fine uh, spin on this. The car was just ugly in the eyes of most people. And at some point, the company ran out of people who were willing to buy an ugly car. And yet, at the same time, 
gasoline prices that peaked, as you may remember, around four or so dollars back in uh, 2015. And four dollars in 2015, mind you, isn't the same as four dollars today because, of course, we've had inflation. So four dollars then was more like five or five fifty today, and that was a lot of money. And since then, of course, now we're dealing with gasoline prices that are well below three dollars a gallon on a nationwide basis. And in the meantime, uh, people's tastes have shifted and people are not willing to accept ugly cars. And in the meantime, there's a new bright, shiny object that have emerged on the horizon here, and that is the full electric car. So if you wanted to show your environmental bona fides, you really had to go the extra step of going to a full electric car. And at the same time, one of the most amazing phenomena has crept up just under our underpants here without saying as much as a word, and that is that there are actually hybrid cars that are selling in huge quantities, but people don't view them or even know that they are hybrids. I'm thinking about, for example, the Ram 1500 pickup truck, where the base engine right now, starting last August, August of 2018, is actually a hybrid engine. And mind you, most people who buy that vehicle barely understands or knows that it is a hybrid vehicle, and they certainly doesn't buy it. They don't buy it because of it, but yet it is a hybrid vehicle. So we're getting into a new phase now where everything from a Ford Explorer to all sorts of other vehicles will be hybrids, but they won't say very much that they are hybrids. And they're kind of hybrids in a way that all you're getting is the benefit of much better, um, much better, uh, fuel economy and that uh, people I think are going to be just happy with that. I think when I stand back and look at when the Prius came out and made such a big dent on the car industry and everybody was trying to be greener and better and uh, look at the earth as uh, something that they were uh, really trying to preserve uh, at that time there wasn't uh, much on the landscape. We were looking ahead at new models coming out, uh, the Honda Insight those type of vehicles were and, and the Prius were kind of it, that's all that was available but now today we stand back and we look and there are 200 just battery electric vehicles uh, coming to the market that doesn't even include hybrids so the landscape is much fuller and people may just stand by and wait for some of these to arrive one of the most amazing transformations there has of course been inside the Toyota brand itself because uh, the um, the Toyota RAV4 hybrid, uh, the hybridized version of Toyota's most popular model, bar none, in the U.S. market today with over 400,000 units sold on an annualized basis in the United States, that hybrid version alone now actually outsells the Prius. So what, what's really happened here is that, yes, people wanted a Toyota hybrid. They just didn't want it in the Prius format. Why? Well, A... Uh, the Prius was ugly, and uh, people wanted an SUV where you sit higher up. So that actually caused uh, Toyota a year ago to cancel the Toyota Prius V or 5. Uh, that was essentially the slightly larger station wagon slash often used as taxicab version of the Prius because uh, basically people traded it up to the RAV4 hybrid instead. So right. this is really going to become the major theme here. 
All right, Anton, we're going to take a quick break for some commercials. But we come back, the Chinese are messing with their currency and it could be affecting American customers in what they want to buy. We'll find out what's happening over in China and how what they're doing and what the U.S. government is doing could affect the price of vehicles that you buy and the price of technology. Uh, just small currency changes affecting how much the U.S. get to pay for goods that come out of China. We'll find out about that and much more. You're listening to Our Auto Expert on the phone, and we will continue the conversation. It's Anton Warman. You're listening to Our Auto Expert. Welcome back to the show. You're listening to our auto expert, locally uh, created, nationally celebrated. Uh, this is America's Car Radio Show. If it has a throttle, we'll talk about it on air, online, on mobile, and on smart speaker. This is our auto expert. On the phone with us, Anton Warman. He is an independent analyst and investor. Seeking Alpha is where you can read a majority of his work. Anton, currency fluctuation in China is affecting how much we pay for our goods. Yeah, certainly there are a lot of components that come from China, all the way up from semiconductors to other automotive parts. But I think the single biggest factor that is going to determine going forward what is going to happen to uh, the U.S. automotive trade relationship with China is going to center around the technology per se. And the reason that is the case is that technology as we know it today is really a combination of semiconductors and the sensors that those semiconductors process. And what I mean by sensors are things that capture the environment around them, cameras, radars, and um, microphones uh, listening to what is happening and what people are talking about. And then the telecommunications and that transfer that information to some central data point where this uh, information is getting analyzed or otherwise monitored. And the issue here becomes one where, just like the U.S. now has essentially banned uh, the ch chief Chinese telecommunications equipment company called Huawei from doing business in the United States in any meaningful manner, uh, the automobile is at some point very soon going to be viewed as nothing but an extension of this technology. An automobile is essentially a rolling computer with a lot of sensors and telecommunications transmission capability built into it. So as this automobile travels down the road, it listens to what is talked about inside the vehicle. It listens to the things that happens outside of the vehicle. It takes pictures and video of both what's happening inside the car and outside, and then transmits this to a central data point. Well, let me ask you, what could possibly go wrong? I mean, we're talking about a rolling Alexa that if the automobile is made inside China, all of this information goes straight up to the Chinese military-industrial complex. And I find it hard to believe that in the long run, the United States is going to accept a situation of that nature. Now, granted, in the short term, there have been very few Chinese-made cars that have been setting foot on U.S. soil per se, but the plans as you look at all of the Chinese automakers is to eventually make it export to the United States. And therein resides, I believe, the clash that we are going to be seeing over just the next couple of years down the road here. 
There seems to be a lot of angst between the United States and China over many of these elements. Uh, if you look at companies like GAC Motors, uh, they have uh, promised to come to the United States year after year and sell their vehicles, but they haven't quite got a foothold in the United States. Is a Chinese company ever going to come to our shores and try and establish themselves? Well, that seemed like almost a given only a year or two ago. But I think that is what has changed now is precisely this technological clash that I was talking about a few moments ago. And that if you take, as a, as a, take it as a given, make it the premise that the automobile is essentially this information gathering device on four wheels, I am thinking now that it is looking increasingly impossible that this will ever be allowed to take place. I think the frontier is going to move to whether we will allow uh, cars that are made by sort of Western or non-Chinese companies but have components from China or maybe are assembled in China ever to make it into U.S. Well, you may have seen stories a little over a year ago where both Apple and Amazon discovered inside the semiconductors in their servers tiny, tiny, almost indecipherable by the human eye, this ultra-tiny semiconductors that had somehow siphoned off and gathered data from those servers and essentially sent them to China. So are you going to be able to monitor these things realistically in the automotive world, given the sheer size and weight and complexity of such a vehicle? And I think that this debate is just now getting started, but I see this thing coming to a screeching halt here very, very soon. What's going to happen to companies like Buick who rely on 80% of their sales being in China? Well, that's a slightly different uh, situation and, and solution to a problem, right? Because what is happening with Buick is that Buick doesn't really export a lot of cars from the United States to China. That's not what's going on here. And Buick no longer really exports a lot of cars from China to the United States either, thanks, in quotation marks, citation marks, uh, to what uh, the tariffs that were brought on about a year ago. Uh, rather, what is happening is that Buick makes cars in China. It's essentially a joint venture partner, or actually a couple of joint venture partners that General Motors has in China. They make those cars in China, and they sell them in China. So this technology problem basically uh, you know, does not apply as far as the United States is concerned. If anybody should be worried in that regard, it would be the Chinese, right? Uh, that the Chinese might start to suspect the U.S., from uh, basically filling up these cars with some sort of spy devices, which is sounds far-fetched, but in principle, I mean, if we were worried about them doing it to us, they maybe should be worried about uh, us doing it to them. Now, rather, the problem as a practical matter when it comes to Buick in the relatively short term is one in which the Chinese government were to essentially use General Motors' 50% ownership stake in Buick China as a form of bargaining chip for whatever trade war is going to unfold in the months and years to come. That would be the danger here, is that they, they're basically going to milk this entity and that would hurt General Motors economically. And that's something we have to really watch out for. There really isn't anything to report on that concretely right now, but that would be the squeeze point in the near term here. Um, turning our eyes to in the resolution of this uh, spat between the U.S. and China, do you think it's ever going to be sold? It seems to have been going on for such a long time. Well, I mean, this has become uh, the, the major point of uh, how we have to rejigger our thinking here recently because 
until recently, you know, the U.S. leadership was under the belief that if we just traded with China and were nice to China and all of that, that eventually China was going to develop into a sort of Western democracy with political pluralism and multi-party system and all of that. Well, that is essentially out the door. We've we now have a situation in China where we have somebody with very tight control who has started to use all of these technological surveillance methods to essentially strengthen the control of the dictatorship over the people. And now the U.S. political leadership is stepping back and saying, hey, wait a minute, this is not the way this whole thing was advertised 15, 20 years, 20, 25 years ago when we uh, started letting China into the World Trade Organization and give them all of these trade preferences and all of that. So with all of these things changing, I think that for, for, for the fundamental trade dispute to be solved, I really don't see that as uh, as very uh, very easy solution anymore. This is not a matter of saying, well, just uh, you know, if we all both of us go down to zero tariffs, then we're good. That does not appear to be uh, solving the fundamental problem anymore. Because if if they're going to use all of this technology in an almost a military way, then you know this starts to look a lot more like the conflict that the United States had during the Cold War with the Soviet Union, which was, you know, a very different game at that point. And if you start applying that Cold War thinking to the U.S.-China relationship going forward, then we're not really going back to where we have been for the last uh, two or so decades. Let's turn our focus to Germany and talk about VW. They're trying to close the gap between prices of gas and electric vehicles. That's right. So uh, Volkswagen now has famously made a, an enormous investment in the development of 70, 70, think about that for a moment, 70 pure electric cars. These are not plug-in hybrids. This is just the pure electric cars that will be in the market in the next uh, half decade or so, starting you know imminently. And, um, I, you know, once you put in about $100 billion into this investment, then you really want to make sure that this investment is successful. So certainly at this point, at a bare minimum, Volkswagen is talking its own book in terms of saying that this is going to be a big deal going forward and that the electric car will gain mass appeal to the broader layers of the population. And, you know, it is, uh, of course, talk is cheap, as they say, but what, what isn't cheap is Volkswagen's investment, $100 billion, whether it's 100 euros or, or dollars it's just about the same thing at this point and uh that's uh you know that's the dilemma right now what is truly going to come out of this because you know the, the broader layers of the population may still have a lot of skepticism and this this is a bet of enormous proportions uh, let's talk about an article that uh, you uh, just published uh, last uh, last week, and that is uh, Tesla in Europe. Uh, you're looking at how their sales are doing, and uh, sales of Tesla are not as fair as the company would like you to believe. Yeah, so I, I published an analysis about the Model 3 specifically, which is, of course, the, at this point, the bulk, the vast bulk of Tesla's unit sales. So this was focused on Europe, and um, the, what's happened is that in all of Europe, with the exception of the United Kingdom, sales started roughly near the end of February. And I looked at the monthly sales in all of the European countries, and I, then I divided them by the number of days in 
that those respective months. So you can very sort of very in a very simple fashion see the daily sales rate uh, that they are uh, performing in in these geographies. And the verdict came back as follows: that in roughly half the countries, uh, the sales are uh, basically flat. If you can go over the last uh, six months here that the car has been available in Europe. And in the other half of the countries in Europe, the sales are down in some cases very materially on the order of 50%. So for a company that purports to be an enormous growth company, it, ter- it looks at this point like for most of Europe, either sales have essentially stalled and essentially peaked, uh, although not yet started to decline. And in the other half of Europe, there's an actual decline that is, uh, in some cases, uh, you know, to the tune of almost half. And that is a phenomenon here that we'll obviously continue to monitor every month that goes by. But, uh, but that's the situation. And uh, what does that portend for the future for the Model 3 in Europe? All right. So what Tesla really need probably in Europe to get their sales invigorated is a new model? Well, they're going to start making the Model Y in 2020. Um, starting to make a handful of units is not the same as making it in large volume or making it in quality. But I do believe that in the relatively early part of the year, first half of 2020, they'll be able to make a few dozen units that they will brag about saying, oh, we've entered, we've started production of this thing. Well, real production in any meaningful volume will really not kick in until the, the latter stages of 2020. But the Model Y, when it comes out, is still so relatively similar to the Model 3 that, yes, I have no doubt that if Tesla is still in business by then, they will be successful with the Model Y insofar as selling decent volumes of it. But keep in mind that some of those volumes will be cannibalizing the sales of the existing Model 3 because a lot of people who are buying or or would-be buyers over the next couple of years of the Model 3 will simply buy a Model Y instead. So the net of it is not necessarily a 1 plus 1 equals 2, but Sometimes one plus one equals something more like 1.2, and that's a very different story. All right, Anton Wallman, you can read his stuff at uh, SeekingAlpha.com, and he will be joining us every week as he does to analyze the market, see how electric, self-driving cars, and the business of automotive goes. We thank you for joining us. Jen, will we have to come up with an electric truck for you to actually buy one? Well, they're already doing it. And? Bolivian? Yeah, the Are you Rivian. buying one? No. You didn't put your thousand dollars down? No. What's wrong with you? I like my V8s. Oh, yeah. I know, I'm such a gas hog. Poisoning the planet. I know, I'm evil. My sister balanced me out, she got curious. She did? Oh, that's she has it. one, yeah. That's so you're even now. Yep, we're good. I, I wish the world actually worked like that. You can catch <laughs> up with previous episodes of the show at ourautoexpert.com and send us messages on social media. Until next time. You've been listening to Our Auto Expert with Nick Mile. Find all the show episodes at ourautoexpert.com. Please follow us on all social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Our Auto Expert. And message us for a quick and witty response.